everyone and welcome to the first proper episode of The Logbook. My name is Genevieve and I'll be your host for today. Before we start this episode, I'd like to let you listen to a snippet of this gig by Michael McIntyre, who's a British stand-up comedian. In this part of his gig, he talked about how people respond to bees and wasps, and one of the types of people are what he calls the total panickers. The third way, the total panickers, right? <laughs> Oh my god. Was it a hornet? Was it a hornet? You know, if it gets you on the throat, you can die! So, very often when we are going out with friends or even just at home and we suddenly hear a loud buzz or we accidentally walk into a swarm of bugs or even see a cockroach at home and it flies, we can respond in this way, just start screaming. And for some of us, it leads to this fear of insects or bugs in general. To give an example, my own sister gets super scared when she sees a moth, even a small one, and it flies into our room. I don't understand this. I've asked her why before and she just can't explain why. And for the record, she doesn't like butterflies as well. And I don't know why either. Um, but all these experiences makes insects one of the least liked animals in wildlife and that somehow becomes the baseline for some of us. So for today, we'd like to explore the diversity of insects and to talk about some misconceptions we have about them. And for that, we have a very special guest. I've worked at the Lee Kong Chen Natural History Museum with him before. He was my supervisor. And through my undergrad days, when I first started learning more about insects, he has been famous for being the guy who can identify any insect, even if the photo's not that great. Our guest today is none other than Mr. Fu Maosheng, who is curator at the museum. Welcome, Maosheng. Hi, everyone. So, uh, Maosheng is taking time after a very long day of work, after yeah. a chaotic day of work, because we are recording this on the same day when our Prime Minister announced that um, non-essential businesses will be suspended for a month. So, like, 4 to 6 p.m. to 2 hours was just like a mad rush for you. A total mad rush, total indeed. Total mad rush. <laughs> Before we start talking about insects, let's get something straight, right? Some basic biology of insects. Maosheng, would you like to tell us about this first? Usually when we talk about insects, we always know that they have the head, the thorax, and the abdomen. So yes. three main body parts. Yes. Um, insects also have six legs, and then they also have the antenna. A good picture is the ant. Yes, the yeah. textbook example of the ant. Correct. In primary uh, school science. They are invertebrates, so they're exoskeletons on the outside. Compared to us humans, our skeletons are on the inside. So they have no bones no on bones the inside. In a way, you can say bones is on the outside. So, but these bo- they change bones change every once bones. in a while. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, they, they shed the exoskeleton, yes, they mold. Yes. On that note, it makes spiders, scorpions, mites, millipedes and centipedes not insects because either they have less than three body parts, more than three body parts, or way more than six legs. So mm-hmm. just remember that, guys, because all too many times I have people asking me, spider is insect or not? And I'm like, nope, it's not an insect because mm, no. it's eight legs <laughs> and two body parts. So no, that doesn't count. And also, not everything that is small and crawls fast and looks like a bug is an insect. So now let's get to know Mao Sheng a little bit better. 
Maoshan, can you tell us what you do in your work? I'm a, actually a curator in the museum, um, but I specialize in all the insects, right? So I'm an entomologist. So I take care of insect specimens, right? both whether a wet preserve or a dry preserve. At the same time, I'm also the cryogenic uh, collection curator. So specimens or samples are being stored in super cold temperatures. That's basically what I do in the museum. Mm. How cold is the cryogenic collection? Um, it can be so cold as minus 197 degrees Celsius. Ouch. Have you heard about like cryotherapy for humans? Yeah, I do hear about that. But I don't know, I never tried it before. I don't think there's any cryotherapic spas in Singapore. I don't think so, right? It's a bit... There, there is actually there more are? for the sports people. Yeah. I honestly don't know how that works though. Generally, what I know is that basically you try to channel all your blood into the innermost part of your body. Like yeah. near your heart? Yeah, correct. So there's less blood flow to your extremities and all yes. that? Yes. Oh, that that that's sounds different. scary. <laughs> yeah, that sounds scary. Um, what made you like insects then? Um, this is uh, kind of hard to tell because it all started out when I was like in kindergarten. It's, so, it's, I think it's always that story though. It's like, oh, and since young, I like this. Yeah, yeah. correct. So it's just that like I find insects to be fascinating to me. From young, so I'm always going around looking for insects. Like, did your parents influence that in any way or your family? Not that I know of. Not really? Yeah. So it just came out of yeah. nowhere. It's natural. Nice. <laughs> natural inclination towards it, yes, right? Yes, correct. Cool, okay. Um, what's the most interesting insect you've caught before in Singapore? I would say it's the twisted wing parasite. Oh, mm. oh, that one. What that one is quite actually quite one of my bucket list. Oh. Yeah, so have been doing insect surveys since 2012 and always been trying to find that particular group of insects. It's right. only in 2016 that, that I managed to find one. One, like, yeah, like not that's, two, but one. That's one. Like, that day was totally excitement. <laughs> <laughs> but was it like bound to any... It wasn't bound. Yeah, it was actually during one of the um, sorting sessions. Uh, there was a student who was like looking to can't oh. identify a certain group of insects because they were not trained to do so. Okay. So he asked me about it and I found out, hey, this is the insect that I've always been looking for. Then yeah. like sudden, <gasps> what is this? Yeah, oh my gosh. Wow, okay. Also, it was not like to anything. It was just in the, in the ethanol. Yeah, correct. Nice. Okay. Um, I also know that you like cockroaches. And this is a common insect in Singapore that many people either fear or not like. And some guys also even fear cockroaches when they fly. And to be fair, I also I haven't seen a cockroach fly before. <laughs> but if it flies into my face, yeah, I'll be scared. Um, but can you tell us more about, about cockroaches and why you like them? Initially, I didn't really like cockroaches. I just find them okay. They are just cockroaches. Yeah, like meh. Okay, that, yeah right. Just so-so. Uh, I started off with looking at termites. Oh. Yeah, so that was my main interest because termites is not well studied in Singapore. Okay. So I started to embark on that to find out what are the different termite species. Initially, it was termites and cockroaches are two different orders. Mm. But then uh, termites have now been put under cockroaches. So that's where oh. I start to see your termites are like your social cockroaches. So now they are like the same group. Yeah. Yes. Then from there, I decided to study more cockroaches and find them to be interesting. Okay. Right? And get to see they are actually different colours and they have actually different kind of roles mm. and different ways of uh, paternal care for their young. Oh, so yeah. not all of them just lay eggs and run? Yeah, no. Some of them do, do care for their young for a short while. Oh. Uh, there's one cockroach in Singapore that actually kind of uh, suckle their young. Huh? How? 
Uh, that one is still a mystery. <laughs> we are still trying to figure out. But yes, they do suckle their young. The cockroaches, they don't have a biting mouth part at that point of time. It's just only to suck up fluids. Okay. Yeah, so weird things, but interesting. Is there like a, a name for this cockroach? Like, is it a family? Or? They are commonly called the peel cockroach. Oh, mm. peel cockroaches. Yeah. Okay, so for those who are listening and you hear stuff like order, la, genus, la, family, and you have no idea what this means, um, basically these are ranks uh, with which we classify all living organisms. So like for example, there's the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, fungi, fungi kingdom, and within each kingdom, there's even smaller and smaller ranks. So we, we could post something on our blog if you want to know more about it. Um, but of course, with these ranks, it's a nice place to start learning about the tree of life, but... I do know that not everyone agrees with the ranking system, but that's another story for another day. So on that note, a group of insects that we as urbanites tend to encounter are pests. And of course, this includes cockroaches, ants, termites, mosquitoes, bees and wasps when they make hives near our homes, and that's just to name a few of them. So what's your attitude towards pests like these, Marsha? Mm, for my attitude-wise... I would say, yeah, there are pests. They may be, in a way, uh, kind of irritating or they might be like vectors of diseases. Mm. So for those that I see as like vectors of diseases, um, okay, you know, you may want just to get rid of them, mm. right? Because you don't want to fall sick and then it affects your livelihood. Mm. But uh, other insects-wise that are not pleasant to look at, you no, know, most they might be ugly looking or they are weird or anyway, they disturb your personal space, mm. um, they may or may not be exactly pests, right? So, mm. usually people say they are pests is because they feel they are disturbed by them. Yeah, right? I mean like, like I, I've seen videos of like uh, during house renovations when someone peels back a wall and then they see like a huge ant's nest or termite's nest or even in cars when for some reason there, was a, there, there were bees that made a hive there as well. Mm, yeah, right? that's great. So, they always call an exterminator to get, get them out. But I mean, I mean, like, termites bring some sort of inconvenience as well because if, if your home has a lot of wood material in it, then uh, these termites can just basically destroy everything. Yeah. yeah and then cockroaches are like big. Some people don't like them. Then because the American cockroach is known or at least known to be dirty because they eat trash. Yes. They correct. eat garbage, right? So they have a lot of bacteria on them. They have a lot of germs on them. So people don't like to touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So... Um, but for those like you know bees and warps, mm. right? Uh, usually it's looking at them. Are they dangerous or not? Yeah. Yeah, correct. So if they are dangerous, you know they can sting you. And those people who are very um, sensitive to it, right? Mm. They can go into uh, have really big reactions. Yeah, very then, big right? reactions itself, and then you may have a uh, very serious health concerns. Yeah. So sometimes it's more of like being a danger or whether they actually pose any health problems. Like bees and wasps, like if they just make a hive or a nest outside the window, like especially HDB flats when there's like uh, concrete uh, substrates, right? And mm. then there's hives or nests that, that forms there. So are, are there any like conditions under which these bees and wasps would come in and attack? Usually they will attack when they are disturbed. Okay. But some of them are more aggressive. Mm. Where you Even your presence close to them, they may feel that they are in danger. Then they will attack you even without you having to touch them. Oh, but wow. some of them just only require you to uh, disturb them by, you know, when you squeeze them or you accidentally smack them. You and then physically they physically just yeah. whack them If like not, that, they right? will just fly by you and then don't care. Okay. Yeah. 
So yeah. it depends on uh, whether the species is the more aggressive one or the mild ones. Of course, then like how we know what species it is and whether its its behavior is is uh, offensive or not to us, it's a matter of knowledge already, right? Like yes, if correct. if the layman doesn't know, then he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Then if he if if he doesn't go and take the effort to search it up or get some kind of specimen, then it's kind of hard. Like, they may not know what to do with it. They just yeah. leave it there, leave it alone, don't do anything with Correct. it. So usually most of the time, yeah. it's just leave it alone. Yeah. The, that's the best case scenario to have no negative effects from it. Right, yeah. right, yeah. But I mean, like, I, I think like last time you were telling me about this friend you had who had a termite infestation at home, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not a friend, but uh, just someone who was uh, discussing about, you know, that he found a termite infestation at home and, uh. and wondering what he can do about it. Mm. Yeah, like some, sometimes they want to use so-called natural remedies mm. or sometimes they want to use uh, chemical ways to wall it off. So, yeah, there are different options that they actually can use. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think he was, he didn't want to, like, kill it, right? Yes, he didn't yeah. want to kill a single termite. He doesn't termite. Then in the end, also like I me, mean, it's not not the best thing to do. They you can't really live with them. If if they if the colony gets bigger, then yeah, it's kind of hard to live with them, I guess. Yeah, it will. Be. Yeah. So I mean, you, I I guess usually pests like this, when you have pests in an urban house and they are adapted to live in an urban area, then there's probably a lot of them like throughout the world. So like killing some of them won't, you won't it won't put a dent. Yeah. It won't put a dent in their species. So it's okay. It's okay to kill like pests like this. Or well, maybe we put it in a way say we just get rid of them. Yeah, so like these insects we can get rid of, but because of the, the mentality to want to get rid of them, for, for some people it extends to like every other insect. And so they, they see like every other insect as ugh, it's a nuisance. And like Yeah, people do have that habit of generalizing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why. Because usually when we are young we always talk about bugs and bugs just uh, won't just comprise of just the insects, it just comprise of the spiders, the creepy crawlies in general. Yes. So they just associate them all together as one group. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, so as I've mentioned at the start of the episode, for for some that generalization is a very real thing and they may not see it as an issue because it doesn't concern them as much. Well, we're here to change that, and that brings us to our next segment, and I hope this will be fun. Um, before today, I found 11 statements of insects online, and from some of my friends on social media. Um, I will say them one by one, and in response, Mao Sheng will first give the simple answer of whether you think it's true or false, and after that, you can elaborate. So, if you're listening to us right now, you can try to try and see what your answer is, and see if it tallies with Mao Sheng's answer. Yep, so you ready? Okay, okay, let's try this. Okay. Number one, small winged insects are the young of the species. That is definitely a false. Yes, why? <laughs> Usually when you think about being small, you think they are young. So I guess maybe that's how the statement came about. Mm. Uh, but usually when insects, they have wings, they are already in the adult stage. Mm. Yeah, because adults need to fly around and then populate in new places mm. or new areas. So... Uh, I guess the proper way to say is small winged insects are the adults of the species. Because <laughs> yeah. some insects can be small and they're winged and they're already adult adults, size, right? Yes. yes. And I mean, like, sometimes the insects young, the larvae, and the adult can look very different. 
So just because they are small and they're wing doesn't mean they're the same species. Or yes. it could be the same as well. It could be. It could yeah. be the same as well, yeah. yeah. So it depends on what species you're talking about. Second, cockroaches can continue to live a long life without their heads. <laughs> yeah, this is true. It is true. This but is how long? true. <laughs> Probably they will live about a maximum of seven days. Seven? That's actually quite short, that's, actually. That's not too long. I think that's quite long, especially for people who are fearful of cockroaches. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Correct. You know, the, the, the longer they live, they are like, it's still around, it's still around. With no head, like a headless cockroach running around. Yeah. I'm not sure like, which one is more worse for them. <laughs> seven, that's true actually. Yes. But it's like seven days without food. Yeah, without food. They, they can't can, eat anything, right? They, they can't just eat anything. Like so around. they're just surviving on whatever food reserve and water that they have. Oh, wow. Seven days. Okay. So if you see a headless cockroach, it's dying, but not yet. Moving on to our third, third statement. Insects produce sound by singing with their voices. <laughs> I mean, if you talk about voices, you think it's coming out from your mouth. But um, when insects produce sound, right, doesn't mean they will come out from their mouth. It can come from their wings, their legs, or to some special parts on their body. Mm. Yeah. So they can come from different places. Okay. Like cricket, they produce sound by rubbing their hind mm, legs. Correct. So crickets will actually rub their, uh, they'll actually rub their wings. Oh, in order wings. to produce the sound. Oh. Uh, it's grasshoppers that will actually rub their hind legs against their wings to produce the sound. Oh, yeah. okay. And then for the cicadas that we always tend to hear during the hot afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, they are actually produced by these so-called timber membranes that's found on their abdomen. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, so insects don't have lungs. They don't have a vocal cord. Uh, yeah, they have mouths, but they can't sing because they don't have all that like humans do. Fourth statement, you can tell how old a ladybug is from the number of spots on its wings. And this is a false. It's a false, but can you yeah. can you actually tell how old a ladybug is? I mean, if you want to tell how old, whether it's an adult or young, you can tell they are adults when you have their wings already. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, but usually the number of spots, right, it will actually kind of show the different kind of species. Some species will have less spots, some of them will have more. Some of these beetles with a lot of spots, they may not be ladybugs in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Then how do like baby ladybugs even look like? They are a bit like <laughs> caterpillars. Oh, is it? Yeah, in in certain sense, they look like caterpillars. Right? They will just like crawl around on the branches looking for food. A oh, good like... place to find them is when the plant is infested with aphids. Oh. Yeah. You see some black thing that's moving like an inchworm around. Oh, so they look like inchworms? Not exactly like inchworm, but movement-wise might be similar. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Okay, so like, for those who don't know, ladybugs are actually beetles. Uh, one of the defining features of beetles is that they have a heart covering over their wings. And we call that the elytra. So only adults have the developed elytra and developed wings. And like, if you want to draw a parallel some sort for a beetle, the one that you're more familiar with is probably the mealworm mm. and the uh, forgot what the common name of that beetle is oh like stag beetles or rhino beetles maybe that's okay. the one the, the thing is like in primary school we have like we bring back the mealworms to, to keep right oh, and then yes. we see how they grow into beetles oh yes yes I forgot what the beetle is called that mealworm is we'll call them the duckling beetles ah yeah duckling beetles yes. okay yeah so yeah duckling beetles are also beetles so they're somewhat similar to ladybugs in that yeah, sense, they're beetles, that, yes, yeah, they're all, they're all beetles, so they're they're similar in that sense. And you can see how like 
the young of the beetle is like at least larvae-like looking thing. So it doesn't always look like a ladybug from the get-go. Fifth statement. I got this from a friend online. Insects are all dirty, thus I should kill any insect that flies into my home or any insect that I find at my house. True I'm, or false? This is totally false. Oh, okay. How, uh, that's curious. Uh, how is he or she actually sees that insects are all dirty? But no, they are not. They're not, okay. But actually, a very small percentage of them are dirty. Especially like, say, cockroaches, you okay. know, the American cockroach that actually comes in contact with trash. But other insects-wise, no, they don't. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's more of like um, due to what they come into contact yes, with. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah. So usually uh, flies, you know, those that come in contact with rotting bodies or mm. something that's dirty, with full of bacteria, uh, those will be dirty. Dirty, yes. The rest of the insects, butterflies, I don't <laughs> consider them dirty. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Butterflies have this habit of uh, puddling, right? Or pooling. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. correct. So some butterflies, they do feed on like urine. Yeah, but those are the, the males, ah, the male butterflies. Okay. The rest of them are fine. Okay. Yeah. Yes, oh, please. maybe a good example is honeybees. Okay. I mean, if honeybees are dirty, do you still want to take the honey? <laughs> oh, well. Yes. Well, because honey is basically like bee vomit. Yes, right? correct. It's basically bee vomit. Bee puke. So, yeah, so if you think that is dirty, then that's kind of weird. The point here is that it depends on what the insect's behavior is like, what the ecology is like, what they come into contact with. So flies, cockroaches, yes. Some flies. Yeah, some, flies. some flies. Oh, some flies, not Only all. Some flies, some yes. flies not all, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The family Diptera, which we generally call flies, flies, not all of them feed on like rotting stuff. Sixth statement insects all live on land. Mm, this is also a false. False. Right. Uh, I mean, there are insects that live in the water, yes. like your diving beetles, mm -hmm. your water scorpions. Mm -hmm. um, your dragonflies and damselflies, when they are young, they actually live in the water. Mm. Yeah. So not all of them live on land. Yes. Yeah. So like just now you guys heard from Northern, like water scorpion, right? So a water scorpion is not actually a scorpion. It is a beetle. Yeah, they just look like scorpions because oh, of the two. Wait. Water what? scorpions are actually two bugs. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Info wrong. Okay, yes. Thankfully, there's Northern here to clarify. <laughs> but, yeah, but they are true bugs. So true bugs are like, um, what's a relatable example of a true bug? Like your shoe bugs? Shoe bugs, yeah, yes. Correct. Yes, so they belong in the same group. Yeah, okay, so that's it. That's like insects that live in water. Not all of them live on land. And of course, we have like mosquitoes, which are partially aquatic. Mm, yes. yes. Right. The, the young ones live uh, in the water. Seventh statement. Insects see thousands of identical images through their compound eyes. Mm, this is true. Okay. Yeah, um, because their compound eyes are made of different lenses. Mm -hmm. So you can just imagine it as like different televisions. Okay. Yeah, you know, uh, more or less pointing in the same direction. Mm. Yeah, it's not exactly the same image. It's just like an image with slightly different uh, angles. Yeah, mm. but all in the same direction. Okay. Yeah. I wonder about these as well because, like, for human eyes and bird eyes, our visual systems are fairly well studied. Like, we know how our eyes work. We know how mammalian eyes work, more or less. Mm -hmm. But with regards to invertebrates or insect vision, I think there's very few studies out there that actually look at this because it's so complicated, right? It's not easy to study yeah. it as well, but they only can make like certain replicas of it to mm. see how it works, but to fully study it's going to take a lot of work. Mm. Yeah. And then like how their brains even process all these, don't yeah. know how many images altogether to 
when it comes to physiology wise, it's going to be tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's very. I think it's because they're also tiny. Yeah, then yeah. you have to dissect their eyes. Dissect. It's not easy. Yeah, it's quite difficult to do. Insect and invertebrate vision is fairly underrated. And the thing is, we learn in school that um, insects use a lot of visual cues, but not all the time. And some butterflies have structural coloration. Insects, as with many other animals, they use uh, colors in males as an as a indicator for quality, of, of, for mm, mate yeah. quality, right? So you wonder how they actually see their mates, even though we know that they have these structural colors. You don't know how they actually see it, how they perceive it, how they make decisions based off of it. So, I mean, I've been interested in this for some time and it's kind of difficult to study because they're so tiny. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Something for you to think about. Um, okay, number eight. All bees and wasps are out to attack. False. Yes, okay, false. Why? I mean, they have no reason to attack you unless mm-hmm. you disturb them. Mm. But everyone's idea of disturbing is different, right? Yeah, it's quite subjective. Mm, so yeah. some people talk about disturbing is when you know, you are going too close or some people think disturbing as like you really purposely prod their nest or disturb their <laughs> behaviour. Yeah. So it kind of depends, yeah. But not all of them are out to attack. Mm. Because usually if they attack, they're actually spending energy. That's they rather true. spend their energy in their own lives rather than having to fight back. Right. Yeah. And like bees, after they sting, they just die. Yes, correct. Because the stinger gets, gets taken out from their body. And correct. So like for your honeybees, right? yeah, you pull out part of their guts. Yeah. yeah, and then they will just die soon after. Right. So there is a cost for bees to sting you. And so if they think that that cost and benefit is not worth it, they're not going to do it. With regards to this, I have like two stories. The first one is because um, while I was still working at the museum, I, I took a picture of a jewel wasp that we got in one of our samples. Mm-hmm. And I showed this really nice photo to my aunt from my, my dad's side. Like, because the jewel wasp has a very nice um, metallic green. So it's very beautiful for a wasp. It's not like the black and yellow that we usually see. Mm-hmm. And I want to show to see how, how beautiful it was. And when, and when I told her that it was a wasp and I told the Chinese name, which is uh, Huang Feng, I mean, I, I got this from like Google Translate. I do not know how accurate it is. But when she heard the word Huang Feng, she exclaimed and she said that, oh, a wasp will sting. Confirm super, super painful. Then I'm like, but they won't sting. I mean, not all of them would sting. And it's not all the time. It's not like they see human parts, but then they, oh, my God, it's sting now. Right? Yeah, they, they yeah. won't. We always tend to use the common name. Mm. Yeah, so they, the common name has always been used, keep our kids safe. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. you keep them from any harm, from like bee stings or warp sting. Mm. So when you say about any of these common names, right, people also always uh, associate them with the potential danger. Yeah, mm. With these common names, then based on how we learn about them in our upbringing, then mm-hmm. we can have a particular impression of things that may not yeah. actually be true. Yeah. Then my second story is that uh, David, our very own sound designer, actually got stung by a wasp while we were planning our second episode. <laughs> and, and, he, and he was in his hall room when this happened. Uh, we were on a Skype meeting and then um, apparently like he, he shouted but I didn't hear anything because Skype audio oh, problems sometimes, okay. right? And then <laughs> he got stung and he, and he, he shouted and we asked him, like, are you okay? Like, he, I think he still has his um, sting mark there now. He, he told me like on Wednesday that it was a pus filled, but it's really small. It's not like huge. It's a small little red That's thing. a little red dot. Yeah, it's a small little red dot. Um, and and when when we asked him about how it happened, he was like, "Oh, I think the wasp uh, flew onto my shirt. I didn't know. I put my hand down, and it stung me." Oh, that happened to me as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So 
that's like kind of example of how it got disturbed, right? You, you didn't mean to disturb it, bit, but it yeah. just happened. You just feel that you're being threatened and being almost yeah. squished, so they decide to uh, fight back. Yes. Yeah. Um. But generally, um, I've also had other friends who were stung by bees, gonna chased by wasp, uh, got stung a few times, but it like the reaction um varies from person to person. Both my friend and David, they're okay now. They're alive. They're not convulsing <laughs> within the, th- the three hours. But usually if, if you're okay, you would know because like within three hours, if nothing happens to you, then you're fine. But there are some people out there who, who uh, actually get stung, have a, they, uh, allergic reaction. Yeah, they have a really bad allergic reaction and that's that can get pretty scary. So, um, yeah, be careful, but don't like irrationally fear bees and wars for that reason. Lah. Yeah, okay. Mm. Next one, ninth statement. There are more ants or termites than humans on Earth. I would say this is true. Wow. Yeah, correct. Let's say take Singapore in uh, as an example. You know, we mm. have about, about 6 million people mm. in Singapore. Um, that um, number can actually be condensed to a very small area in Singapore already. We can't do that now because COVID though. Yeah, yeah correct. But, yeah. <laughs> but that is for uh, in the case of like termites and ants, right? Because mm. usually the colonies can range from a few hundred to millions of them. Mm. So imagine you have like when it's one small colony living in one small area, you multiply that by many times. Singapore can at most hold like to how many trillions of termite individuals, and then you spread it across the earth itself. It's the numbers are yes. enormous. enormous. Yeah. And of course, they, they can't live in like oceans and waters like that, but... I mean, the land is already more than enough land for them. Land is really yeah. more than enough. Like, when we, when, if you go to a forest and you pull up a, a dead, a dying tree and you suddenly see like a termite nest and it just swarms out, then yeah, that, that kind of tells you how many there are in oh, just nice. that one place. So can yep. you imagine like the entire earth given the amount of land space we have? So wow, that is that is pretty cool. We have more ants slash termites than humans on Earth. Yeah, correct. But uh, usually in my days of uh, doing my pioneer project, mm. uh, we always have this saying that you know, ants and termites are actually the little rulers of the Earth. Wow. Yeah. You know, without them itself, you you won't really get your your, your trees or your ecosystem running mm. properly. Mm, yeah. So yeah, though they they still have a significance. Number ten, butterflies are the most diverse group of insects. Um, this is also a false, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can, but I can understand why people would say uh, butterflies are the most diverse. Mm. Because butterflies are the most charismatic, well-known among the people. Yes. But right now, Hymenoptera, you know, warps, bees and ants, these are actually the most diverse group. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Is there a reason why? There are actually many, many tiny warps flying around us. Ah. Right? So tiny, they are actually smaller than a full stop. Oh. Yeah, and because they're so tiny, right? Uh, very little people want to research on them. Because it's they're so too difficult. tiny, it's so yeah. difficult. But now, you know, we're using molecular techniques, we can actually find out the, the diff- possible different species. Mm-hmm. And yeah, actually, in the recent years, they actually, like, so called, overtake the rank of the beetles. Before this, we always regard beetles as the most abundant and the most diverse group on mm. Earth, right? Because of the collection by Alfred Wallace. Oh, it's by Wallace. He has a quite extensive collection of beetles. There's a lot of beetles. Uh, But now, no. No, it's like... Warps are actually the most diverse. Way ahead of the beetles, really. Uh, During my undergrad days, you talked about this quite a lot as well, about diversity of insects, the different groups of insects. And beetles were suggested to be one of the most diverse because of a study that someone did to fog the canopy. Mm. Like canopy fogging and then like how many beetles he found from the trees, right? And then he, he... um, 
I can't remember his name, but basically he did like an extrapolation and he realised that that's a lot of beetle species. But then like for wasps, um, the the small wasps that we mentioned, is it like, uh, I think it's because um, they're parasitoid wasps, right? So they're very, very small and they're host-specific. So it means that for every one host, you have one species of wasp that parasitizes on them. Could it that be may why? be one or it may be a few. one or two. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, but because of that specificity, then you potentially have a lot of a lot species. Wasps, yeah. Yes. And yeah, but they're so tiny that we can't, maybe can't even see them really flying. You can't see them yeah. flying, yeah, until maybe they land on your face. Then you see, oh, what's this dot? Why this side, you see this dot moving <laughs> across. Yes. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yes. So, yeah. So, it's Hymenoptera for you. Ants, uh, bees, and wasps which are most diverse, not the butterflies. Okay, then last one. This is a weird one. I, I, I actually, this turned up a few times. Um, one cannot kill praying mantises because they are endangered. True or false? False. False. Yeah. Why? Well, praying mantises are not well studied also. Oh, I mean, okay. we know of the like the possible different species, mm. but it's not easy to find them. So because they are good at camouflaging, usually you will see them as a, a gardener's friend, right? yes. you know, to help take care of the garden from any possible pests. Mm. Right? So I guess that's how people say, you know, you see praying mantises, don't kill them. Because mm, uh, they're helping you, right? They're helping you, yeah. yeah they will care of any uh, pests that might come and uh, eat up your fruits or your vegetables. Mm. Why they are endangered is because they are in a way well not well studied and so it's not easy to find them. Mm. So we do not know to the, what extent, you know, how is their population going, how rare are they. Mm. Yeah. So because we don't see them often, we think them as rare. Mm. Then I guess maybe that actually becomes saying they are endangered. Then that comes the, the issue of how do you know if an insect is endangered, right? There's that difficulty in giving that status to an insect species. It's very challenging to give a status to it. Because you want to talk about uh, whether are they endangered, are they common, we need to know about their population, where are they found, mm. right? And usually it's like, you see there's large numbers of them. Oh yeah, we say that they're common, uh, they're not extinct, not endangered in any way. Yeah. Uh, but when you start to see that, oh, you know, we find them to be very rare, Right, you only like see one or two, and okay, you start to think, oh, they are rare. But this one, we need to go through a process before we can actually uh, give them a certain it, status. Right. I think when I was working at the, at the museum, I always had this thought about how different methods of trapping insects, and the reason why we trap insects is because we want to survey the environment for what insects they are in the first place, right? Yes. We want to characterize what communities there are there. But then because the methods we use are somewhat invasive, meaning like we take insects out of the environment. Because if we don't, it's very hard to identify them down to genus at least, or maybe even species. Even to maybe even to family. families also. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So it is a something that you can't really do much about, and because of that inherent intrinsic invasion of the method that you use to survey, then it's a bit like, are we really conserving insects? Are we really trying to you know look at the big picture mm. of things? Well, at the very least, you will get to discover potential new species. That's one oh, thing, right? So before we do about conservation of an area, you want to know what species are there, mm, right? So true. without the bodies, right, you can't even tell what species are there. Yeah, then we cannot give the numbers also. Yes. Yeah, so you will need to really look uh, deeply into that. Mm, okay. Even like characterizing a community for insects is already difficult. And much less like going beyond that, applying that knowledge and then restoring a forest, let's say, mm-hmm. to its original estate as it was or getting as close to that as possible. And let's say if you want to con- consider the insect community, then that's 
pretty tough as well right? because we need to have that knowledge about what insect does what what the role of the insect is how many of the insect needs, needs to be there blah 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 yeah there's so many questions yeah, to so, itself so when it comes to like conservation and restoration at least for the insect expert it's a lot of things to work on and yeah. it's very difficult and at least given human knowledge we don't know enough we always mm-hmm. we, you never know enough yep. yeah so yeah. the first step is always finding what are they yeah. What's there first, right? right? And even at that step, it's not easy already. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, very good. Those were all of our 11 statements. The, the thing is, when we were planning this episode, we found it difficult to try and summarize the diversity of insects in a one-liner because they're just so diverse that you can't, you can't umbrella statement everything together. So, um, for this last segment of episode... I just wanted to talk about how we can better appreciate the insects around us. Um, and um, basically, I, I feel that there's a lot of ways we can do this. But for Maoshan, do you have any examples of insects that we can appreciate and how we can do that? Um, I guess one of the ways we can appreciate insects in um, is basically how they give us food. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I guess honeybees is a very common example. Mm. Right? You know, when you get something sweet, you know, that's where you get your honeybees. And now honeybees uh, population is, is in decline. Mm. Right? We need to provide them areas to actually so that we can get our honey. Yes. Uh, another kind of food in general uh, <laughs> is chocolate. Chocolate. Right? Everybody loves chocolate. Okay, at least most people would love, love chocolate. chocolate right? yes. Be it whether it's a milk chocolate or dark chocolate. But how do we get our chocolate? It's basically from certain group of flies. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, we need these flies to help to do the pollination. And then mm. that's how we get the cocoa. Oh. Yeah. If we wipe out the flies, right, just because we think flies are dirty or yeah. they are pests, we won't get our chocolate anymore. Mm. Yeah. Usually we know flies by like house flies because we see them most often, right? Mm. But flies come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them don't even look like flies at all. Yeah. So basically the fly that we're talking about here, what fly is that? Uh, it's a kind of a midge. A midge, yes, okay. Yes, a, a very tiny one. So it's actually very tiny that it can actually go through the tiny opening of the flower in order to do this pollination. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You can't have humans to do that, so that would be very, very expensive. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I did ask Moshan about this. Like, what if we, if we have like um, artificial insemination? Basically, we have humans to go and pollinate the flowers. Then it's it was going to be very tedious, and yes. it's going to be very, very extensive. Cocoa comes in the form of a tree. Mm, yeah. So and the flowers just bloom wherever. So if let's say there's a flower at the top of the tree, how are you gonna get that one guy to go and go up the tree and pollinate it? and yeah. not drop any pollen on the way there. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's very difficult. And the thing is, only a mage, an insect that can fly, can do this. Yeah. And it's it's part of their nature to do it. And I mean, if for those who are listening, if you don't know what a mage looks like, um, recently in uh, Pandan Reservoir, while we were in Singapore, there was a mage infestation. Yeah, yeah right, in the, yeah. It's in the recent news. Yeah, uh, there's maybe a news- last, early last year? La, yeah, somewhere yeah, last correct. year, yeah. So um, basically, these majors were, uh, they were just breeding like crazy mm. in our reservoir waters. Um, but yeah, though, if you want to look up what the mage looks like, you can. Uh, we could post a, post a photo of that as well in our, in our blog. Um, but yeah, these majors are the really unexpected pollinators of cocoa, of all things, cocoa. Yeah, um, though that's what they already do for us by nature, right? So what, what about the things that they could do for us? Now, the other one they can do for us is your black soldier flies. Mm-hmm. Right, I guess now is, this is the most popular topic with regards to uh, handling food waste. Mm. Right? Uh, 
these guys just gobble up anything that's organic. Anything and everything. Anything that's orga- organic. So Even bones? Uh, well, bones is something uh, they won't eat, right? Okay. So <laughs> any food that we can eat, they also will eat. Mm. Yeah. So usually, you know, sometimes when we go to our hawker centers, we uh we don't really finish finish our food, or sometimes we over order, mm. and then those food will get thrown away. Mm. So we can actually use these uh, leftover foods, give them to the flies, mm. especially their larvae or the mm. maggots. Maggots. Then they'll help us convert these uh, food waste uh, into like potential feed, right? Now you can feed your aquarium fishes, mm. or you can actually turn them into biofuel. Because these larvae or maggots, right, they are have very high fat content in the body. So you can mm. milk oil, uh, in a way, fats from them. <laughs> and get oil out of them as well. Yeah. Use as fuel. So just because of the biology of this black soldier fly, it can basically enable an entire circular economy. But, of course, whether that can happen is like really far into the future. Whether those who are producing food waste are onto the, onto the idea, whether we have the resources to even have that supplying of feedstock to the flies, and how we can, you know, get the product out of the flies to be given to the right organisations. So, yeah, that that is like an amazing idea that we've had in recent years, I think. Yeah, in, in recent, recent years. years correct. Um, but yeah, it's going to take some time before we, we can actually hinge on this for a circular economy. Um, what about, then what about this? Like, there are people who say that insects are the future of food. I would say What's yes. your take on that? Yes. Uh, for me, I would say <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's kind of like you have to overcome that fear of eating first. Yes, right? the So uh, there are people who actually promote uh, entomophagy. So basically okay. eating of insects, right? Uh, they are highly nutritious, mm. right? Uh, not in a way that they will cause you to um, have, you know, grow fat, right? Or in, in, in certain health aspect. Uh, yeah, so... It actually has a faster rate of production, like mm. compared to like rearing chickens, you know, mm. to get the eggs, right? Like, uh, say bodybuilders, right? They want to get uh, <laughs> protein. protein, right? <laughs> uh, to generate enough protein, right? We can use the insects because insects in general they are protein. high in protein. Yes. Yeah, correct. So instead of having to uh, wait for chickens to lay eggs, yeah. Or like, like those protein powders. For your black soldier flies, mm. right? You can actually convert the mangoes into powder. Mm. Right, so it looks um, more appealing in certain sense. <laughs> so you right? don't see the you don't itself, see the right? itself, right? <laughs> yeah. You just see them as powder, mm. and you just start to uh, put them in your shakes, and then you start drinking them. Right, crickets are also another example. Mm. Yeah, people now it is actually quite common that people will use crickets to supplement the protein. Oh wow! Yeah. Are there are there companies out there that actually make like cricket powder? Like there are as well. Are. Oh, wow. Yeah, correct. Um, like our closest neighbor in Malaysia, oh. they're actually doing that. <laughs> Cool, yeah, okay. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's a lot of the mental barrier thing. Mm. And um, also, I mean, like, insects, they, they take up so much less space to, to, to rear, right? Like, yes, compared correct. to cows and chickens yeah. and, and pigs. They're so tiny, so much tinier. and, and Less effort as well. Less effort. Do they like, give off less, like, you know, greenhouse gases? Mm, that, is something, sure that. that is something that needs to be studied also. Yeah, because yeah. I, I know that black social fly larvae, they give off a lot of ammonia. Yeah, they when, do. When they metabolize. Correct. Yeah. But how much, I guess, that one needs to be studied. Yeah, I need yeah. to compare, like, do some data mining, compare, like, black soldier fly ammonia output compared to, like, cows who, like, fart a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or burp a lot. Or burp a lot, yeah. That's the other problem with livestock rearing. Like, they give up a lot of gas. Mm. 
Mm, and you got a lot of space. You got a lot of space, <laughs> and then like to have that space, you need to clear land, and that's never good for biodiversity mm. because you are removing habitat. Because I think like the other way you can get people to appreciate insects is also like busting myths, uh, giving them a bit more knowledge to say that a, the impression that you have of them is actually not true. These are misconceptions. Uh, I really feel that if people knew more about even simple things like how some insects are absolutely harmless, then or how some insects are extremely. Beautiful, yeah. or they're kind of, kind of strange looking. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, um, I I actually volunteer at the zoo, and um, at my Dawson station, we have this uh once a month thing. We used to have that because now cannot cannot do duty la. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, we we used to have a once a month thing where we bring out like stick insects and mm. we bring out like caterpillars, and these are completely harmless to people. Stick insects, they don't bite you. They don't. They just walk on they you. They just walk on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and the thing is, when I see people, like, um, I should have, hey, do you want something cool? And then they're like, huh? They see this weird stick thing on my head. <laughs> then they're like, what is that? Then I'm like, no, it's completely harmless. We have it under control. It won't bite you. It won't fly. It has no wings. You can just touch it and it yeah. won't do anything to you. So, like, like even after I say all this, people are still scared to do it. And I tell them, it feels exactly like a tree. If you've touched a tree before, this is no problem. Yes. So, like, like it is really this... Even saying these things sometimes is not enough for people because of that mental barrier that they've had for don't know how many years in their upbringing already. Yes, correct. So, yes. yeah, really like busting myths, telling people that, you know, there are some insects that are not as scary as you think. And I think by, by giving them more knowledge and this outreach and education, then people might appreciate them a bit more. Mm, yeah. Yeah, right. then I, I think like you were talking about, like, like for you, like it was an innate curiosity kind of thing, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, so I think at, at least for Singapore's like kids, I don't find a lot of them very curious about insects. Or I guess right now, kids are more into technology, yeah. phone or iPads, the yeah. kind. Yeah, good. Yeah, so it's really like, the, the thing is, if you don't have this curiosity, I feel that um, you won't have that desire to learn more. And if you don't have that desire to learn more, then you'll just stay at one level. You never you'll be like enclosed in a certain box. Yeah, you yeah. just stay in your comfort zone. You stay in your box. You actually won't have that drive to learn more about insects and how they're so important to us. So I do agree that getting people and kids to be curious first and like early on in their lives mm. is, is going to be a big thing. Like it, it's not something that you take for granted, but especially because of biodiversity, like that, yes. that innate love for biodiversity doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't come like out of nowhere. Well, some, some it's, it does. it's kind of yeah. like exposure. Yeah. How much exposure is being given to the kids, mm. right? But I guess parents also do play a role. Yes, you know? yes. Whether the parents say, hey, let's bring you out to the park or bring you to the nature reserve. Yeah. Instead of bringing them, oh, let's bring you to a shopping mall. To a mall. That's totally different. Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I really, at least for me, I really do, I feel heartened when I see kids at the zoo and they like, they really love what they see. Because as a kid, for me, I loved the zoo as well. Like, the zoo was the first place that I loved as a kid. And then after that, it kind of, propelled me to like like hey what about everything outside the zoo like the zoo's not the only place with animals right yeah so there's like many other there's places. a whole big world out there there's so many other things that they are, they are just there and people don't know about yeah then um maybe the last thing i want to talk about is like the the right mindset to have when it comes to um human wildlife conflicts with like humans and insects mm, okay yeah. you elaborate on that um <laughs> While we want people to appreciate insects more, we also don't want them to be like asking for trouble. Like go and purposely go and poke the insect, go and poke the beehive, poke the wasp nest. Oh, right? yeah, okay. along that line. Not in a way 
too curious. Yeah, don't be like <laughs> overly curious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that will actually come with knowledge, right? Mm. So you will have to slowly learn about it. Mm. Um, one thing to learn to start off is basically learning, okay, what are the different kind of insects that we have? Mm. Right? Like the common ones that the form common ones that, right? Yeah, correct. Then you start from there, start from your outside your home, mm. uh, into the park area, then maybe you can go into the, the nature visa. So you slowly point, yeah. expand up. Um, then you can actually find out, okay, which insects are considered dangerous? Mm. Right, you know, like in, in general, like wasps tend to be more dangerous mm. because they can sting. But mm. uh, some ants also, they can actually uh, sting and bite. Mm, yeah, yeah, the weaver ants. Uh, the weaver ants, they will bite, right? And then they spray formic acid, mm. right? That is why they're called formicidae. Mm. Right? Uh, <laughs> then we look at beetles, right? Not all beetles are dangerous, right? quite a number of them are actually harmless. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, having to know that which one are dangerous based on maybe where they actually live in um, mm. and how they actually defend themselves. Right? Once you get that knowledge, you are in a way arm, arming yourself. Mm. And then you know, okay, which ones you cannot provoke, which ones you still can take touch them. Risk. Yeah. Not say yeah. take a big risk, but uh, yeah, okay, I guess, you know, still handle them with your bare hands. Ah, okay. Yeah. Like, like, at least for beetles, when we, when we see the beetles at home, right? Are those small, tiny brown ones? Oh, those. Or the green, or the green ones. Like the green Schaefer beetles, right? Is that right? Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Those beetles are harmless. Harmless, yeah. They're yeah. just annoying. Because they buzz pretty loudly, right? Now they buzz, and then because they would want to escape also, mm. they keep hitting your doors or hit your windows, <laughs> they hit talk, talk. Then it's like you're watching your, say, your Netflix, and you hear this extra. <laughs> Noise at the background. <laughs> yeah, it can be uh, quite annoying. Yeah, but yeah. that is completely harmless. You just have to like catch it in a small bottle. And then you just release, release them out through the window. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's pretty much enough. Also, another thing about like like sound, like when people hear like carpenter bees, for example. Oh yes. And they're super super loud, and people get scared of them. Because, and they're so big as well, and they're so big and chunky as well, right? Yeah, correct. So people kind of get scared with them. Uh, like, are carpenter bees harmless? Pretty much. Yeah, right. Carpenter bees are pretty much harmless. I guess people are like, you know, when they hear something that's loud, mm. or they see something that's big out of nowhere, you know, mm. your first instinct is like, okay, you know, move away, right? Mm. So, I guess that's the natural reaction. Mm. But, it just buzz around you and that's it. Yeah, like, you know, I guess in the, um, the comedian, right, he was talking about the <laughs> waffles. Wafters, yeah, yeah. Correct, you know, just waft them along. Wafting you away. should be fine. <laughs> yeah, you see the carpenter bees. It's only when you like, try to say, uh, catch hold of a carpenter bee, right? It will try to free itself and then that's the point of time it will try to sting you. Uh, yeah. that, that's if you grab it. You la. really grab it. That's yeah. if you grab it. So just, just, don't, just yeah. don't go and grab it because it's a bee. It can sting you if it wants to. Um, yeah, but like, because like for, for some people, um, if they really just lack that knowledge, at that point of time, they lack that knowledge as to what exactly it is, whether mm-hmm. it's dangerous or whether it's, it's anything. What 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 uh, kind of mindset do you think? Now, if you're not sure, just stay away. Mm. Yeah, that's the best thing you can do. Like, yeah. being on, like erring on a set of caution, right? Yeah, then maybe you can go back home and Google and find out, okay, <laughs> what do you find out or what do you see? Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I, I really feel like, like for when it comes to wildlife, it doesn't matter whether it's insects, any other big mammal that could possibly bring harm to you. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the thing is, is we shouldn't think of, of every other thing as, you know, it threatens human life, it can harm us. Because, 
that's not how we should see them. Yeah, you know, sh- yeah. that's not the way. That's not, that's not how we should see them. And I mean, of course, it's out of like self-preservation, which is a very natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I feel that you can just always look from a distance and can still have that respect and the admiration for them. But at the same time, just don't go and purposely go and broke the thing like, don't be foolhardy don't bring yourself trouble I mean you also can in a way think yourself as the insect right? you don't want people to disturb, disturb you. you right? You're like, <laughs> you don't disturb me I don't disturb you then yeah. we just work uh, in a way side by side yes yeah. yes. so um, I mean like we, we can we're gonna cover like human wildlife conflict at some point of time later in this podcast but yeah this, this could be a small taster for it for how for what kind of attitudes we should have as species to species, you know, like humans are also part of nature and how we should see other animals that are living with us and how we can actually live in harmony with every other animal that's out there. Because um, I've gone on a lot of field work um, experiences before, mm-hmm. whether it's with the school or with with um, with the museum. And I was, like, before my first field work with the museum, I was briefed by one of the staff. And um, after he briefed me, I realised that, wow, I have probably been a bit too daring before because because I, I've been in forests and I just brush through places and mm-hmm. and of course I know naturally what I should look out for like watch my step don't go and grab a vibe with thorns kind of thing and then like um, don't step on things that might look like an ant nest or a wasp and or a wasp nest kind of thing like watch where you're grabbing watch where you're stepping but then after he briefed and he told me about like how there was possibility that if I wasn't stung by a bee before I could have a pretty bad reaction to it then I'm like okay, I have probably been a bit too adventurous or there before. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of things in nature out there in the world, in forests that can potentially harm humans, but really we, we shouldn't think about it as that. Um, it really comes back to how um, how we, we should be curious about nature first and of course, yeah, la, preserve yourself, but don't be unwise <laughs> yeah yeah so okay cool um on that note we have come to the end of this episode um this was written and produced by me genevieve with sound design by david thank you so much once again to mao sheng for taking time to be with us yep um i really kind of uh, enjoy this is how hey. i know, hope more people will appreciate insects right how insects are actually useful to us you know, in giving us our food like chocolate <laughs> Right, yeah. and um, not all of them are dangerous. Yes, yeah, not and all there's dangerous. a lot more to be discovered. Yeah, so like, um, I, I know the museum gallery is closed now, right? Because yeah, of COVID. Correct. But I mean, when it's open, do go and have a look. The collection looks amazing, it looks really beautiful. You can see how, um, yeah, there's a lot of butterflies, yeah, sure, but because they're pretty. But there's a whole, there's so many um, other insects out there, and the museum really showcases that really, really well. Um, so props to, to Mao Sheng and the rest of the Ento team for curating the collection so well. Don't forget to check out our blog at bit.ly slash thelogbooksg. That's B-I-T dot L-Y, thelogbooksg. On there, you will find the transcripts to all our episodes as well as photos and links to news and other cool stuff. We are also on Facebook at thelogbooksg. Um, feel free to connect with us there. We would really, really love to hear from you. Um, yeah, so that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay fly. <laughs> get it, get it. Uh, stay fly, stay wild, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye!